Welcome into another edition of New Track Record Podcast. Caleb Hatch and Justin Kinney with you. Plenty to discuss this week, especially as we kind of recap everything we've learned over the past couple of weeks. Marketing, the 100 Days to Indie streaming and TV show series, docu-series for IndyCar, plus stuff trickling out that's not good news about the IndyCar video game. And we'll talk about all of that with our guest this week, Adam Stern, Motorsports, also fighting sports reporter for Sports Business Journal. Adam, as always, thanks for coming on. Absolutely, guys. Thanks for having me. So, Adam, we'll start things off with the 100 Days to Indie TV show and docuseries. It'll be on Vice TV. It'll be on the CW, on Network TV. Uh, how did this deal come together? Was this something a long time in the making or something that kind of came together quickly here in the offseason? Yeah, it seems a little bit of both is the answer to that question because they were working on trying to land a um, docuseries for quite a while. Um, and they had been looking at all sorts of different projects. Of course, we had seen this reported several different times, including by me, that they were close to a deal. Um, but it seems like hmm, this one might have actually come together somewhat quickly. Um, Nextstar, Nextstar Media Group, which... Um, is kind of like the owner of a lot of local TV stations and affiliates throughout the country. Um, they have different kind of operations like that where they own local TV stations. They recently purchased the CW, and they want to make the CW um, kind of into a um, a channel that has a little bit more kind of like live docu, you know, live offerings or docu series type offerings than it had in the past. So it was looking at getting into these sort of ventures. And that just happened in the past couple months. So I have a feeling based off of that and also based off of what I was told by Mark Miles, uh, the CEO of Penske Entertainment, that it seems like this one actually just, this offer specifically came together in the past couple months. But obviously they've been working on seeing if they could find an appropriate docuseries for some time now. Um, and it seems like this is just the one that, that came to the top and that worked the best. So um, I think it's a pretty interesting deal for IndyCar. I mean, obviously it's it's not Netflix or um, you know, uh, you know, one of those other top streaming properties. But at the same time, you know, the CW, of course, is in pretty much every TV in America. And I believe the number that IndyCar gave out, which I'm sure they were given from the CW, is that uh, they're in 98% of households that have TVs in the U.S. And then, of course, you know, they've kind of got that secondary partnership to it with Vice, which is kind of um, also very interesting in their own right. You know, the CW kind of has a younger-leaning audience with some of their shows, and then Vice has kind of a certainly a younger-leaning audience to turn in ways, too. So that's kind of the beauty of these docuseries is trying to get them in front of new audiences. Obviously, if, if diehard IndyCar fans want to watch it, all the better as well, right? Like, it's not like you only want new people to watch it, but the, the most important thing about these is trying to get them in front of new fans and, and potential fans and non-fans at this time. So... Um, I think from that regard, I think IndyCar's got a pretty interesting deal. We'll have to see how it goes. I was just talking to someone about this earlier today, the last point, which is that the one thing people do have to keep in mind in terms of expectations, and I think this is not just true for motorsports, but all sports, because we're seeing like tennis just come out with a new docuseries, golf coming out with a new one, is that one of the reasons, in my opinion, or the major reasons, in my opinion, that F1 struck gold in 2020 with Drive to Survive is because everyone across the world was stuck at home due to, due to the coronavirus pandemic. So they really did kind of strike, I believe, lightning in a bottle to an extent. But at the same time, you still got to try and make projects like this happen, even if you're not F1 and if you're 
other sports, right? You got to try and do this. So let's see what they can do. Let, obviously, the expectations, I don't know if they'll be quite as high as, you know, what's happened for, for F1 and Drive to Survive. But if it can bring in some new fans in various ways, I think it'll be very worthwhile. And hopefully it'll be one aspect of a broader new marketing plan that they're going to have. Adam, what can you tell us about the particulars of the series? We know it's going to be six episodes. We know it'll be in prime time. We know it'll be sporadic through the time between the start of the season and the end of May. But in terms of format, in terms of what um, the producers are looking to do in terms of, of telling a story and access, can you give us any intel on that? Yeah, I mean, you, I think you saw some of the drivers start to say it, like Connor Daly, um, and, and there might have been some others, which is that they met with, the producer uh, right away last week um, or, or the director, I forget exactly which of his two titles, but one of those two titles, one of the main guys. And this is a gentleman who apparently worked um, with box to box films, I believe on either one of their new docuseries. It wasn't the F1 one. Box to box, of course, is the one that made uh, the, produ- the production company that made along with Netflix drive to survive in F1. And apparently um, he, this guy who's, who's, I believe directing, it might be the proper title for IndyCar and the CW and Vice, he, um, he's coming over. He just recently worked with Box to Box, either on their golf one or their tennis one. So uh, they've got some pedigree to who's heading this up, and he's already come to Indianapolis last week, and he started meeting with series leaders. He started meeting with, uh, with, with drivers and starting to put together a narrative of what this you know, story is going to be. And one thing that, you know, speaking with Jonathan Gibson, who's the right-hand man of Roger Hensky, and speaking with Mark Miles last week about this, they said one of the keys for them and one of the, what they believe will be a differentiator is this is going to be much more like hard knocks in the NFL in the sense that um, it's going to be the, the episodes are going to come out closer to when it happens in real life. So they're going to start filming, I believe, you know, during the offseason and, um, you know, obviously the first races of the season. And the first episodes will come out, I believe, in April and then furthermore into May. So as opposed to Drive to Survive, where, you know, they're going to debut their season about the 20, they're going to debut their docuseries about the 2022 season when the 2023 season starts. This is going to be much closer in time to when it actually happens and then when the show uh, debuts. And so IndyCar believes that'll be something that'll hopefully help make this more exciting in the sense that, you know, it'll be fresher in fans' minds. Um, so I think those are some of the you know, ways they're looking at putting it together. Um, we'll have to see, of course, what the exact storylines will be, but hopefully those will come together, I guess, naturally with, with what's going on in the sport. Adam, the streaming series is just one aspect of what sounds like a more concerted effort by IndyCar to be more involved in terms of marketing the sport and the budget for that going up, and you've reported on that. What details can you give us on the particulars of that? I, I'm sure IndyCar has been pretty coy on, on what that involves, but from what you understand, what can we uh, expect to see in 2023 with the bigger uh, marketing emphasis from IndyCar? Yeah, no, great question. Um, yeah, I, I think you're right. I mean, they didn't give out exact specifics about here's what we were spending before on marketing, here's what we're going to spend now. They're just adamant that they're going to be spending a, a fair bit more um, so, you know, let's see exactly kind of what sort of presence we'll see, but they're saying that they're going to, you know, kind of do all the typical bells and whistles that you would expect these days. So they're going to work on things like influencer strategies and kind of traditional PR campaigns with, with people like that. So 
I think they're going to be doing all sorts of things like that. I'm not sure. Um, you know, we'll have to see exactly how it bears itself out because I think, you know, there's all sorts of options for things to, for them to do, right? I mean, marketing these days is such a broad term. I mean, you know, you talk about search, in, search engine optimization and digital and social media, but then you can even look into some of the things that F1 is doing um, with, you know, putting on events, you know, that are kind of like um, show runs and, so there's just all sorts of different things that IndyCar can be doing. And then even as it comes to schedule optimization, you know, kind of tweaking their schedule and kind of going into new markets and, and doing things there, you know, trying to – obviously there's always kind of been a complaint, I think, in IndyCar to a certain degree. And this predates by far the, the Roger Penske era that, you know, there was a little bit of a bubble inside IndyCar and that, you know, while IndyCar is certainly very big in Indianapolis – it might not be quite as big in a lot of other markets, but because this series is based in Indianapolis, there's a little bit of, you know, that gets lost in translation for folks. So trying to do more in different markets, um, you know, locally, I think, you know, with PR outreach, sending drivers there to do various things. I mean, those are all kinds of various bells and whistles that they'll hopefully be looking into. So it, it's everything you could think of from experiential in person to digital, social, et cetera. But, um, yeah, let, let's see exactly what happens. Of course, I had heard the rumors, and it ended up getting reported by Motorsport that <clears throat> there had been drivers, you know, um, kind of upset over the offseason that there wasn't enough marketing going on from the sport and so that they had reached out to the series about that. So, you know, this has obviously become somewhat of an important topic. Um, I think obviously, <laughs> you know, I think, look, you can't blame IndyCar for, for F1 getting big in America. And in certain ways, I think it's great for all series in motorsports that F1's getting big in America because it's helping making racing cool again. So I think it's really, in certain ways, a great opportunity for IndyCar uh, to try and, you know, draft off that to a little bit and see if you can bring in new fans. So um, it's a time to be spending more on marketing and trying to bring in those fans. And I think that's why you saw some drivers expressing in recent weeks or months that they wanted to see the series doing more because it seems like such a great time to bring in new fans of the sport. So... Yeah, it seems like obviously more more to come on the specifics from IndyCar, but they've committed to spending a lot more, and let's see how what it, what it looks like. Adam, I know in 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 your experience, it's one thing to to allocate money to a a marketing effort. It's another thing to execute it and have the right people in the right places to make it happen and and make it successful. So. Is the important thing here with IndyCar putting money into those avenues or making sure that the right people are in the right positions to take advantage of the opportunities presented? I would say, look, you know, you first and foremost, you want to, I would kind of compare it similar to racing, right? Like um, the most important thing in racing is having a good car and then you want to have a good driver. But if you don't have a good car, you're screwed. And I would say it's probably somewhat similar in marketing. Like, you have to have a big budget. You want to have the right people in place, absolutely 100%. Just like in racing, you want to have the best crew chief and engineers and drivers. It is important. It does play a role. But if you don't have a proper budget, you have one hand, if not two hands, tied behind your back, especially when you have some major competitors coming in and spending a lot of money. I mean, it's not even just, uh, it's not even just F1. I mean, you look at NASCAR there and, and IMSA. They're doing a lot more these days. You know, now NASCAR is getting into street races, and they're going and spending $50 million on Chicago. Now, obviously, that's not all marketing. I mean, that's $50 million to set up the entire race and build the racetrack and all that stuff. But, you know, part of that is marketing. And in, in, in theory, it's in, in an entire marketing exercise. 
like NASCAR is taking their sport to city centers now to try and bring in new fans. And that's an entire marketing exercise. So that's what I mean when I say like, it's not just about signage. It's not just, it, it is somewhat about digital and social, but there's so many other things that they could be doing as well. I mean, you look at how um, F1 is trying to layer on and build on drive to survive. They're not resting on their laurels. They've talked about doing like kids animation shows, books, I mean, all these different things. Like, there's so many different things that go into marketing beyond just putting a sign up and, and stuff like that. I mean, IndyCars had signs up, you know, but even then you can do some more. I mean, you know, could they do some interesting, fun billboards in, in different markets that they haven't been doing? So there's all sorts of different stuff that if you have the right budget, and then to your point, you also put in the right people in place, you can, you can do a lot more. So, um, look, I mean... I think obviously, again, I think it kind of goes back to what I was saying a couple of minutes ago about the, the quote unquote, like Indianapolis bubble. It's like we all, everyone in who works in motorsports, it's tough for us to take ourselves out of our lives. You know, we all know IndyCar and we all follow the races, right? But it's tough to realize that there are non-fans and folks who don't pay attention to the sport every day. And it's about trying to reach out to those folks because, you know, when we look at our social media feeds, we see IndyCar. You know, so it's it's about realizing that, you know, there's folks that don't see it like that and trying to reach out to those people and, and doing that on a regular basis, doing that in different markets, in new types of ways. So let, let's see what they put together. Adam, you know, you mentioned kind of some of the things other other series have tried in recent years. And IndyCar tried something this year, and it was a big hit this year at Iowa with the high V double header weekend and all the big concerts. However, for next year, IndyCar fans already upset uh, with the the big increase in ticket prices is they've signed Ed Sheeran and, and Carrie Underwood, which costs a lot more money than, than some of the acts they've had in the past. Is a huge bet by IndyCar to really go after non-IndyCar fans. Is this a case where IndyCar is walking a fine line between uh, having their IndyCar fans interested and in trying to attract new fans? Or is this just a big bet to get new fans altogether? Um, look, I mean, I think the proof will be in the pudding. I think it's a great question by you, but the proof is going to be in the pudding. But at the same time, I will say, look, there's a lot of races in the Midwest. I mean, you know, to the point where there's promoters in IndyCar who feel like there's almost too many races in the Midwest because it, it, it could start to saturate some of their tickets uh, selling because there's so many different races in that market. So obviously for the race, you know, race fans who live the closest to Iowa Speedway and in Iowa, um, they're going to be, of course, the most affected if they can't go to this race because – uh, it's become too expensive for them. So I certainly sympathize with that. But, you know, you would hope that if there are race fans um, in the Midwest who can't go to this race because it's too expensive, you know, hopefully there'll be other races in that area and region of the country for them to go to. There are a good bit of races in that area. So, um, you know, let's see what happens. Uh, of course, you know, if it ends up being an event where there's a ton, you know, the, the grandstands are packed and it is a ton of new fans, I think it's going to be hard to criticize the results at that point because, you know, it is, to be fair, of course, you know, the star talent they're bringing in for some of these concerts, I mean, is very high. And so you, you do have to pay those people a lot of money to bring them in. That's just how it works. We talk about an Ed Sheeran, Harry Underwood, et cetera, Zach Brown band. So they've got some very high level folks. Um, at the same time, of course, it's understandable that when a fan who went to an event in 2022 you know, sees the renewal for 2023 and it's 50 to 100% more or something like that, that they might get some sticker shock and say, I don't want to go. So I think there's fair points on both sides. 
And that's why I think, it, you know, we will have to just see what the results are. And I think it will be very interesting to see. Clearly, if, you know, there's half full grandstands and things like that, and you have a lot of fans saying they couldn't come, and it doesn't seem like, you know, the, the facility was filled in by non-fans or casual fans, et cetera, to make up for it, then it, it probably won't be viewed as having been a full success. So I think we'll just have to see how it goes. Clearly, we know there's been some concern from IndyCar fans about the prices, understandably. So this is where we'll say the proof will be in the pudding. Um, you know, if they have a great result with a lot of people there and it brings in new fans to the sport, I mean, it is only one event out of the year, you know. So it, it, if, if IndyCar and High V one event a year, do something like this where it's a little bit more tilted towards entertainment and the tickets are very expensive <clears throat> and it, it turns out being productive and brings in a lot of fans, I think it's hard to argue with the results. If it doesn't do that, then you get to kind of say, okay, maybe this isn't working. And so, um, yeah, I think it's a, it's an interesting gamble. I think it's, um, you got to give credit to High V and IndyCar, I think, to a certain degree to trying to do something different. And certainly got to give a lot of credit to High V for putting up a lot of this money to, to make this happen. Um, I know the first year, which was this year with the race, you know, I think they, they were okay with how it went, but I think they probably wished the tickets sold a little bit quicker from what I understood. So, even this year, I don't think it's sold out as quickly as they would have liked. I mean, I think they comped a fair bit of tickets and, you know, gave away a fair bit of tickets to local, uh, you know, youth groups and things like that. So even this first year, I don't believe it's sold out as quickly as they would have liked and, and in the manner they would have liked with full just kind of regular ticket sales. So um, it, it'll be interesting, but there's no doubt that the star power they're attracting for next year is huge. So, so again, I, I just want to see how it goes, and I think we just have to – you know, they're taking a risk, and therefore we have to see how it goes before we really uh, judge it, I think. Adam, we're set to have a streaming service or a streaming show, excuse me, or a show over the air at CW in the spring heading into Indianapolis 500 in the month of May. We're also expecting, at least as of right now, for a video game to come out around April or May. As we sit right now with the issues of motorsport games, how likely is that to come to fruition right now? That's a really good question. I, I honestly don't know the answer at this point. I mean, I've certainly seen, like, candidly, Motorsports Games has been having problems for years. Um, so, I mean, obviously, I think having their whole board of directors resign, right? Or was it, was that what happened? I mean, that, that's, yeah, kind that's of a problem. sort of next. Yeah, that's sort of next level. I mean, I don't know if that, that might be a little bit of a higher level problem that they've had in recent years, but they have been dealing with all sorts of issues for years. The NASCAR games have you know, never received 100% unanimous acclaim. There's always been critics of them. We know this. Um, so, you know, in terms of how they, how they played, how they raced, the, the graphics, the glitches, there's always been criticism of these games um, under motorsports games. So it, things have never, candidly, from what I've heard, what I've seen, never really been perfect with them, and there's still been games that came out. So, I, you know, it's something I haven't looked into yet, and so I don't want to make a judgment about whether it's still going to come out or not. If, if I, I could certainly see a scenario where it does. I mean, again, they've had problems for years, and, and games still came out. So, obviously, it's not what you want to see. Um, you know, I think their stock price has gone down significantly over the years. And so, again, they've had, you know, problems across the board. But um, it, it, is, it, is it concerning for IndyCar? I'm sure it is, right? I mean, anytime you're dealing with a company that's working on a significant initiative for you and their entire board resigns or whatever, that, that does signal trouble. So I do think it's a very fair question by you. It's something I should probably be looking more into, and I just don't know the answer at this point. 
From your experience and understanding, Adam, is it what's worse, not having a game be released or having a game that is subpar being released? Great question. I think, gosh, it's a great question. I think, look, you know, IndyCar has gone so long without a game that it's, it's definitely bad that they don't have a game. At the same time, they've gone so long without one that it's, it's probably fair to question whether it'd be the right move to put out one that is subpar, you know, at this stage, because you've gone so long with making your fans and, and potential new fans wait for an IndyCar game that you theoretically probably want to get it right when you eventually do one, you know? So um, as opposed to, let's say like you had a consecutive year streak of always having a game and you've had a game every year since 2004 and, for some reason this year that if you you know the only game you could put out would be subpar but you want to keep that streak going like maybe you consider it then but that's not the IndyCar situation like they've been years without a game so i think it would be a little bit of a bad look of course to put out a game that's not up to snuff but again i haven't really looked into the situation enough to know exactly what's going on with IndyCar's game um it's possible things are perfect you know theoretically i just i just don't know i haven't really looked into the situation obviously again you look at the press reports it looks concerning on the surface. There's no doubt about that. So um, l- let's let's see what happens. But I do think, obviously, theoretically, you wouldn't want to put out a subpar game if you've gone years with without putting out a product because that's just going to be a bad look right from the start. I mean, you have you you know it, it within minutes or hours you would have fans kind of starting to blow up your social media feeds and and kind of you know saturate social media with complaints. I mean, I've seen this happen with the NASCAR game, so that's never fun. And it's kind of a, a, it is mildly, you could say, damaging for the brand. I mean, it's not as, not, you know, it's a racing series, right? So the most important things happen in real life on the track. But uh, in the virtual world, you still want to get it right. So, um, yeah, let's see what happens with, with the, with, if they can get the product out. I haven't heard that they're not going to at this point. But clearly some of those press reports um, are naturally concerning 100%. Adam, before we let you go, one thing I think it's kind of flown under the radar that IndyCar has done that they will do this offseason, that uh, preseason test at the Thermal Club happens to be the same weekend leading into the clash of the Coliseum for NASCAR, relatively in the same market. Was that an intentional move by IndyCar to try to steal some press away, knowing that they'd already be out in California in the L.A. market for the clash? Great question. Um, <clears throat> I don't know the answer to that. I mean, hopefully they can co-promote, right? I mean, so, we're, you know, whether it's stealing or sharing, whatever, however you want to put it, uh, you, you're right. I mean, it, it is, um, it, it, you know, I know IndyCar in general thought that their offseason was too long, you know, and so they do want to kind of start to be in the spotlight a little bit earlier. So, I mean, I, I, I can say that for sure, and, and this plays into that. So, um you know, if and of course, you know, NASCAR last year when they first did, or excuse me, I should say this year, this past season, when they first did the clash, of course, that was playing off the Super Bowl being there. So they got to kind of do the same thing. Like NASCAR got to kind of draft off of the Super Bowl, uh, which was in Los Angeles this past year, and, and pretty much, uh, what, what was it, one weekend uh, after the clash. So um, from that regard, let's see if IndyCar can do something similar and. Hopefully they can find a way to kind of co-promote. Of course, we know, you know, Jim France and Roger Penske do have some, you know, friendly relations, and, and they've had that kind of similar uh, uh, shared week in Indianapolis Motor Speedway. So there is um, some level of, of kind of rapport between the two different series. So 
yeah, it'd be good to see if, if IndyCar can some shape or form get a little bit more attention earlier on via being at the Thermal Club. That'll be really interesting to see how that goes. I mean, I've never heard something quite like this, um, you know, but I, I've never been out to the Thermal Club myself. So I'll be really curious to see how that goes for IndyCar. And again, you know, that, that at least they're trying something there, right? So let's see how it goes. Um, you you got to give them credit for for at least trying it. And again, interesting location. And if they can draft off of NASCAR being there, you know, all the better. I don't think any of us are allowed at the Thermal Club. They would ask no. for our tax returns. They would see what we make, and we would not be allowed in. <laughs> it's an yeah, exclusive I, club. I haven't applied for any entry there at this stage on my end. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it'd be fun to visit for sure. I mean, it looks like a, a cool idea. I mean, definitely, you know. So, again, I think another thing about the Thermal Club is they have a lot of, of course, very well, to your point, very well-heeled people who live there. So, who, who knows? Maybe six months later we'll be hearing a story about oh, you know, someone met someone at the Thermal Club during preseason and they turned into a sponsor. I mean, I wouldn't rule something like that out either. It's, so it'll be interesting to see, and, and, and credit to Andy Carver trying something there. That's what they got to keep doing. I mean, new markets, you know, that, that's a huge thing that NASCAR is starting to get right. Like, they're, you know, if you even look by, and behind the scenes, I mean, NASCAR is doing a ton of stuff about looking internationally. I know, um, you know, Mark Miles has mentioned to me that he would like to go to Denver. And from, from what I hear, uh, there's, there's definitely something to that. There's something going on behind the scenes there that they're trying to set up there. So that would be fantastic to go back to Denver, things like that. So give credit to Andy Carr for trying something with this preseason thermal club. And, um, you know, obviously Detroit downtown, hopefully that'll be very fun in 2023. So they've got a couple things in the works. They just got to increase it and, and hopefully more with the marketing you know, bringing this docuseries on board, Thermal Club, all these different things, those are good. You know, let's just do more of those, and hopefully things will get rolling in the right direction. I think the series in a, is in a solid place, but, you know, they do face new competition, and hopefully that can, you know, you, competition can either make you wilt or it can make you kind of step up and rise to that next level, and I think hopefully for IndyCar, that's what they do is the latter. Adam, as always, we appreciate the time, and uh, I'm sure we'll talk to you down the line as more business news across motorsports uh, continues to trickle out here this offseason. Appreciate you guys. Uh, great to talk again, and uh, hopefully we'll be talking again soon. Thanks so much. Absolutely. Adam Stern, Sports Business Journal, kind enough to join us. And the key nugget right at the very end. Burying Denver. the lead. Denver. We, 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 we saw that out there, and we thought, really? Like, is this really? But apparently, there, as he said, there are some legs to it, and that is fascinating. Well, we've heard, what, Oklahoma City over the years. We've heard Pittsburgh. We've heard uh, Denver. Always tough to f- take these seriously unless something "quote unquote" official comes out. But Adam Stern, at least telling us there is some smoke to that. How much smoke? Not sure yet. Is it white smoke to signify the <laughs> selection of a new pope? Not exactly, but uh, there is some smoke of some kind regards to Denver. Yes, and that would that would be a big market. I mean, look, yes. NASCAR's not there, An untapped market untapped market it's it's a growing market again you you gotta your base is the midwest and adam stern kind of stressed that talking about iowa look there are a lot of midwest races but growing outside the midwest in california that is big and and they've done that with some of these events right sure and with denver is my son or my son my, my brother lives in greeley which that area around Colorado Springs, Fort Collins, Greeley is really becoming one kind of big metroplex, really. Greeley is the smallest by far of all three, but it's very, they're all very kind of um, 
familiar with each other and attached a little bit. And then they all feed into Denver, which is all about an hour, hour and a half away from each of them. And so there is a lot, there's a growing market in around the Denver, Fort Collins, Colorado Springs, Greeley area. And IndyCar should strike before anybody else strikes. That's, that's the thing. This is the issue with IndyCar and what they're fighting is when you look at Formula One, NASCAR and IndyCar, all three of them are looking for new markets and Formula One, especially in the United States looking for new markets. Uh, they, they are probably tapped out right now, but NASCAR being very, very aggressive at trying other things in different markets in the United States. And that's what IndyCar is up against. And Denver, look, it's it's going to have some buzz this fall, at least for college football with Deion Sanders being the head coach. Yeah, but I, I don't know if look things like that, that could turn things around, make Denver kind of a destination place. It's already, I think, become a, a key destination place. Look, for sure. I will be flying into there in February for for a ski trip. So it, it's one of those things where, yes, this is the the place out west and IndyCar to get a race there. You, you'd love to get another race in the Pacific Northwest if you could. And then obviously you'd love to get uh, another race in the Southeast, that region. And, but again, baby steps, right? And we're seeing some action after a lot of discontent this offseason. I think we're seeing them kind of quell some of the concerns and fears. And we're seeing action taken and not just talk. I think with IndyCar is with the Indianapolis 500 it's a blessing and a curse because it is by far your biggest event and a lot a lot a lot of the focus goes on the Indianapolis 500 for a good reason without the 500 there's no IndyCar series and and that's understandable but at the same time and 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 Roger Penske has discussed this and and said when he took over is trying to make the series profitable outside of the Indianapolis 500. But I think so much of the focus, the marketing, the efforts to get butts and seats has hinged and focused on the Indianapolis 500 that the rest of the series has suffered. And IndyCar needs to find more of a balance between marketing its sport, marketing its series and hyping up the Indianapolis 500 because we all know that once the month of May starts, their promotion and marketing of the 500 is out of this world. They do a great job. Unfortunately, it shows where the sport could be if they put as much effort into the 500 as they did the other 16 races on the schedule. And Adam Stern also pointing out that the glutton of Midwestern races can be detrimental to trying to draw in crowds. And I know people have said over the years it's a it's a Midwestern-based series, but at the same time, when the majority of your races are in the Midwest, you start having issues with crowds focusing on just going to one of them. So if I'm in central Ohio, am I going to go to the Indianapolis 500 or am I going to go to mid-Ohio? Or if I am in Wisconsin, am I going to go to Road America or am I going to go down to Iowa? Probably not both of them. So... That's the issue that Indiana, the IndyCar series has is maybe too many races in the Midwest, and there's there's murmurings about Milwaukee coming back. That would just be another one in the Midwest. And I think when you're fighting for eyeballs and butts and seats and watching your races, when you have so many races and events in such a small geographical area in comparison to the size of the United States, then it can really hamper the momentum and hamper the ability to get maximum amount of people going to your events. 
Yeah, and and we don't see kind of everything clustered together anywhere else like we do, like you said, in the Midwest, especially if they were to add Milwaukee plus right. Road America. I mean, you would I mean, hope they'd get rid of the second road course race at Indianapolis. Yes. But you need to start, if you're going to keep up or at least continue the forward momentum, you need to start looking at markets outside of the Midwest. And it sounds like IndyCar is doing that, whether the tracks or cities are reciprocating in that interest. We're not sure, but at least in the sense of Denver, Adam Stern tipping a little bit that, yeah, there could be some interest there from the city. And speaking of marketing and Iowa and all those things, kind of the, the other thing to get to this week is just more follow up on, on the marketing details. And for one, Marshall Pruitt had an interesting story, racer.com. Uh, Mark Miles scoffed at the number of three million that circulated as the sum Penske Entertainment gave former VP of marketing SJ Ludke to work with last season. And what does that mean? What is Scott like? Does that mean it was a low number? I would assume. Okay, I just didn't understand why he would be scoffing. I, I don't know if three million is a manageable number for a series or not. I don't know anything about it. Yeah, no idea. I'm used to sp- spending a hundred dollars at a time at, at boosting posts on Facebook for my day job. So <laughs> three million dollars seems like a hell of a lot of money to me for marketing. <laughs> uh, the other thing in, in the racer mailbag, there are some interesting kind of comments when Marshall went forward to, uh, talking with uh, Pinsky. Marshall said, amid being told off by Roger Penske in the Daytona paddock last week, the morning after the 2.4 liter, 2.2 liter engine story and commentary went up, he also said everything I wrote was wrong and everything Salter said was wrong. Salter's being uh, with Honda, I believe. Um, Yes, David Salter's HPD president. So we're getting some pushback from some of these things. And obviously Adam Stern had the story on IndyCar playing a big increase in their marketing budget, significant investment in our marketing plans. Those were the words of Mark Miles. But again, we don't know what that means. 50%, 10%, 20%. Yeah. No clue. I, I but, think it's a badge of honor least, if, if you get Roger Penske to go off on you. I feel like that's uh, that, that's something you can carry around with you for, for the rest of your days. But Marshall Pruitt pointed it out. You can't afford to piss off Chevy or Honda at this yeah. point. So be careful what you say about the folks running those two programs because they could just as, as soon jump ship and then you're in a hell of a amount of hurt. And you know what? When the series is silent on their side, on their end of things, and the only comments you can get are from the engine manufacturers and the reporters writing their own opinion pieces, then... You should expect some things that come across that you don't expect or don't like or don't agree with. But the series continues to be silent on on the majority of these issues. And so how can you get their take and their side of the things when they're so so silent? I know that's how Roger Penske runs his businesses and stuff is doesn't air issues in public or go or go public too much. But at this point, getting out ahead of some of these stories would be pretty advantageous for the series or else you're going to be dragged through the mud, which is what's going on right now. Yeah. And that's what's been going on. Now they're trying to battle that back and hopefully they do the things they say they're going to do, but at least we're seeing action steps taken after it just felt like everything was in, in disarray after the season. Here's my thing with the increase in budget air marketing, the emphasis on marketing is, was the decision made based on the, feedback from fans or the feedback 
from the paddock because it seemed like the catalyst to me was the drivers and teams expressing issues to the series. It didn't sound like this was a series that listened to its fans and is making the appropriate adjustments. It sounds to me like a series that listened to its drivers and then decided to do something. And I know the drivers have a voice, but the fans should really have a voice, especially in this respect. If the fans are saying, we're not seeing you enough or you're not doing enough to market your sport, that should be telling as opposed to, well, the drivers had issues too. And that seems to be when IndyCar blinked. And that to me is a, a delayed reaction. It should be based on what you've been hearing about for a couple of years now from its fans. All right. If you uh, agree or disagree, we'd love for you to interact with us. As always, you can find us at NewTrackRecordPodcast.com. While you're there, sign up for the email list. Subscribe for free. You'll never miss an episode or any special announcements. We also have the store available for you. T-shirts and stickers for sale. Great Christmas gifts. Running out of time for those. Also, you can find us on your favorite podcasting platform, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Overcast, Google Podcasts, CastBox, Amazon Music. Uh, for free on social media. Our Twitter handle is IndyCar podcast, same handle on Instagram, on Facebook, just search for new track record. And you can also email us new track record podcast at gmail.com and check us out on Patreon, become a supporter just as little as $1 a month. Thanks to Xavier, Rob and others for their support. Patreon.com slash new track record. The details there. Okay. Mailbag time. Not a ton to get to on this, but a few things. And I think the the biggest thing that we saw sort of involving IndyCar, but unfortunately, Ford apparently interested in F1, new engine regulations in 2026. They're interested in partnering with Red Bull. Obviously, Red Bull's been with Honda and then... What they they were, were going to self brand self brand, right? but now Honda has been sticking around. Yes, and could this now be a, a direct Honda to Ford kind of situation? So it's great. It's it's really great. Hunter's Way sixty seven says Ford really does hate IndyCar. Yes, they do. Uh, you posted a gif of crying inside of Paul Blart. That's perfect. <laughs> uh, N K Harden says, "What happens first? IndyCar adds a third OEM, or they lose one of their current OEMs?" I, I feel think, right now it's lose one of their yeah, current. I sadly I would agree, and that's a terrifying thing. Terrifying to think about. proposition. Here's here's something too, and Marshall Pruitt has written about this in a couple of different areas the last couple of weeks is opening up the engine formula and the regulations in IndyCar, and not to the point where it's run what you brung type thing, but we're seeing the based on the 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 leaders. And the the V stack and all that, all this stuff with 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 with, uh, with the supercharger and everything, everything has to. You have to check about eight or nine boxes to enter the series. You have to have this. 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 Instead of opening it up a little more, and I equate it to if you were looking for a job at some sort of retail retail place, and you had to take a job at a place and you had to wear a particular thing. So let's say you had to wear, you had to get taken back to the early 2000s. You had to wear like long jean shorts and a tech vest or something. That was your uniform. And you had to abide by that. If you were going to work here, you had to abide by those rules. Well, it's antiquated. I don't want to do that. I can go work for this business and wear a more current 
uh, uniform or wear my own clothes or whatever. I'm going to go there as opposed to to doing this. So that's what IndyCar is. IndyCar is this seller that you have to come in and follow this antiquated engine formula, this antiquated wardrobe, the equivalent of a tech vest and long jean shorts to to work there or to play in the IndyCar sandbox. And IndyCar has found that nobody wants to wear the long jean shorts. Nobody wants to wear the tech vest. Instead, they're going to go work for an organization in which they're wearing more modern wardrobe or their own clothes. And that's effectively what it's coming down to is these engine manufacturers not interested in following the engine formula that IndyCar is requiring for all of its OEMs, which right now is just two. It's almost like the people who said, no, screw it. I'm going to work from home wear sweatpants sure. and a sweatshirt every day i'm gonna follow my rules and i can go do this this somewhere else as opposed to following your rules and that's what we're seeing with oems jumping into sports cars and formula one and all this they don't have to follow all those rules and it's a delicate balancing act because all of a sudden if you open it up in indycar then honda and chevy can be like no no, no wait we thrust millions of dollars into our program following these rules and now you don't have to follow these rules so that's going to be a problem too but I think IndyCar has to find a way to not be as rigid in its engine formula because uh, that's one of the main reasons why people, why OEMs aren't interested. In addition to, we talked about it last week, about the, the lack of eyes on the sport and also the lack of uh, ability to take what you're doing on track and put it on the road. So those are things that are combating IndyCar and all of it, as we said last week, and I'll continue to ha- hamper on it, all of it is determined by the amount of people watching your sport. Other uh, comments on Ford and rumored to F1. Poet Shevchenko says, the best and smartest idea I have is to somehow fool the Ford execs. And thinking F1 moved their headquarters to 16th in Georgetown uh, in Indianapolis. Uh, Jeremy from HBG says, at least it won't be IndyCar that gets left at the altar this time. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, F1 can handle that, though. They'll be fine. Sure. Not not a big impact for them on, on things like that. If it happens or not, it's great press. If they don't show up, whatever. Right. F one will continue on, and and they will be a okay. Other comments. This from last week discussing the IndyCar streaming series. Uh, Bauer Racing says, "I honestly was surprised the CW still exists." I saw several several of those. But I think that's from older people. Like me, yeah. I say, oh, see, initially, CW, what? But the more you hear, this is not a show directed towards you, me, and the majority of people no. listening. The people it's, need to understand. It's not that. for us. It's not it's for us. For non-IndyCar fans so, to become fans. So people saying, you need to do things to get new fans. And then IndyCar does something, and people are like, why are they doing this? I'm not going to watch. I don't have CW. I don't know what the CW is. Exactly. It's not for you. Also, you have CW. You everybody has <laughs> it's, CW. A, it's a network. Okay. <laughs> Everyone has access to it. It's free. Yes. More people have CW than have any streaming service. Correct. Out there. In the US, yes. Correct. Uh this from Poet Shevchenko. One way for any car to get good bang for their book buck would be to aggressively target F1 fans. F1 spent the money turning non-racing fans into racing fans. IndyCar can take it a step further and turn racing fans into IndyCar fans. Now, how they can do that is anyone's guess. Yeah, I think. That is the thing we all think that is like a, a logical step, but how do you get those people hooked on Drive what's to Survive? Hook? Yeah, what's because the- IndyCar doesn't have you know a global racing series. They don't have the the star power. IndyCar is not sexy as a product, quite honestly. Now it's competitive, right? And you can sell that, but you have to find a way to get that through to to F one fans, and they're following the drama. You got to find a way 
to get the competition to become the drama for IndyCar and be a selling point. And that's the thing. I think the majority, and I, like, I have nothing to back this up, is say the majority of people that are watching Drive to Survive and now have gotten into Formula One aren't necessarily in it for good, hard racing. They're in it for the drama. They're in it for the personalities. They're in it for the competitiveness. They're in it, in it, in it because of the futuristic technology that goes into these cars and developing them. At the bottom of that barrel, I think, is the entertainment factor on track because we can all agree that that is at a low in Formula One. So the draw to IndyCar isn't necessarily equate to bring some of these fans over. That's the issue. And even when you get out of the United States, this connotation of the Indianapolis 500 and racing on ovals, that's a negative connotation to a lot of people internationally. And, and Formula One fans who like to stick their nose up at IndyCar is... What's the, the absurdity of racing around in circles is is a big thing. And that's why Formula One and International, there's not a lot of ovals. There's no ovals, obviously, in Formula One. It's a lot of street and road course racing. And for us, thinking that that's boring, it conversely is different overseas, thinking that going around in circles on ovals is boring. So that's kind of the some of the challenges you are facing in trying to bring some of these fans in is oval racing just doesn't do it for people in France and Germany and Japan and stuff like that. It, it's very much in terms of, of street and road courses. And it's because it, quite honestly, it's something they just don't understand because no. it's not what they're around. And so if you can have the competition like you have in the road and street course races and, and find a way to make that product good enough for those people to enjoy it and then teach them the ins and outs and ovals. And I think that's helped having, you know, like Alonzo come over, Grosjean, uh, competing in IndyCar, Sato having his success. I mean, it, it helps, but it, there's a long way to go with that. It goes both ways because when when IndyCar started having more road and street courses, a lot of people moan and groan. They still moan and groan, but there's a different philosophy in respecting those tracks and understanding those tracks and having an appreciation for the racing on those tracks that a lot of us have had to embrace and conversely with ovals for international fans. Continuing on in the mailbag here, a couple other entries. I think we have uh, first off email. And I think this actually is the last one. Um, thanks to Dave M for emailing us new track record podcast at gmail.com. I uh, said, love the show. Check out awesome license plates. Never miss the show. Keep up the good work. And he's got AJ Foyt as one of his plates and Elio five as the other. <laughs> That's awesome. Going for stuff. five this, this may as I screwed up last week. Yeah. You gave me a mind boggling yeah. look Four? Yeah. yeah four. four Get on board. Where you been <laughs> out of it? Apparently. <laughs> hey, we have a show here locally from 7am to 9am folks. In addition to other things going on. So forgive us if we're sometimes out of it more than, more than usual. Yes, and that that was the, that was the thing I think the copy is just <laughs> you get out of it right and you you forget something and long days. Yes, correct. All right, so that wraps up the mailbag. Thanks to everyone for their entries and, and a few more notes as we move on to news and notes on the marketing side. First off, NBC Sports and Adam Stern had this. They had first dibs for the IndyCar docu series. They passed. They like the idea of another media company promoting the property. That's a given, right? I think that's a smart move by them with that to, to move on and to look elsewhere as a way to attract new fans. It just, it's a smart move. 
you don't get anything, you don't gain anything being on the same network, the same streaming service as your sport. Correct. Meanwhile, Bruce Martin had a, a follow-up on Iowa Speedway and ticket prices on Forbes.com, uh, his story there. And I'm not going to say the, the quotes were very positive from some <laughs> officials. It basically said, we want to make IndyCar more expensive to go to. It was basically like, yeah. kind of like valuing the event more than what we've been charging, which I think is a weird philosophy to take not all the ticket prices doubled or went up even higher than that there are some where you can still get reserved seats i think it's 190 dollars for both days yeah and you look at it under 200 dollars reserve seat for both days two races plus the concerts when you look at it that way that that is a good deal it is one thing though that that to me people are like well they're charging kids now instead of kids go free i'm shot i expect if i'm taking a kid to something that i'm gonna have to pay for him or her Am I wrong in that? It's a good perk. It is they a great f- perk. For but I don't expect fans. that. I don't expect that long term. No. I don't expect the financial viability of anything I go to hinging on the fact that kids go free all the time every year. I could see that early on and then trying to capture fans. And that's exactly why they do it. Capture young fans and then charge them. I, I don't think that's a bad business practice. I think people, oh, they're, they're charging for kids now. Like you should charge for kids in my opinion, like down to a certain age, but seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15 year olds, like they should pay for tickets to an event. I guess that's to me, just expected having reduced price tickets for kids, you know, like yeah, 12 and price, under. Sure. Um, kids are free, like at IMS for like general admission tickets. Yeah. Usually I get it. It makes sense. It's, it's a way to get families out and to make it affordable. I think though going full price, that is tough because families who would have gone now are no longer able to go. You should have a kid's rate, definitely, but kids shouldn't be free. That's not a good financial business model long term. So the lowest ticket price, now $100, last year was 55 for tickets. But I think this quote that uh, a lot of people are... Salty up, about? Yeah. Salty about realistically, and this is coming from Bud Dinker, and he had several quotes here. Um, first off, saying we've got to get this sport built up so that as this kind of following, so that this is not a big shock that the tickets are going to be over $55. It's all about mindset. I get that to an extent, but you got to continue to provide value. Now, this event has a value, but for races where it's just a race and in qualifying and practice, and then maybe like one support race. It's kind of tough to say that has the value, but this, this quote by Dinker, realistically, I appreciate all the fans that came to Iowa Speedway in July, but I think that you're living in La La Land. If you think you're going to bring this kind of entertainment to an event, not have to up the ticket price. I would agree. How much does it take? How much does it cost to go to a Carrie Underwood contest right now or concert right now? What do you think the lowest ticket is 60 bucks? If that. Ed Sheeran, I don't go to a lot of concerts, so I'm just throwing numbers Concerts out are expensive. Concerts are expensive. You're getting four concerts. My big thing is I don't know the overlap between concert goers, music fans, and IndyCar fans. Yes. That's the thing, is I understand the what the concept is. I just don't know if there's a, a, lot, of, a lot of changeover between the two. It's like I mentioned to you earlier this week, it's 2022. If the combination of music and auto racing was that huge, everybody would be doing it. 
Yes. Right. And we see it from time to time with like a big concert, like at Coda, they were doing a big concert every year. I think they had Muse one year, Justin Timberlake one year. And they had uh, Taylor Swift one year. Yes. And doesn't get bigger than, than Taylor Swift, no. right? So I think that was at least trying to give something to people trying to go to, but that was pre F1 explosion in the USA. And they yeah, that, was a, that. that was a way to draw people yes. in who wouldn't attend otherwise. And I think that's what their their thinking is now at uh, at Iowa is okay. Places like Coda did it. Yeah, music has a big part of let's say Legends Day and Carb Day at Indy, but that's separate. I, I just I don't know if it's a sell. If you if you took all this idea and placed it to Long Beach, I'm on board. Mm-hmm. Um, if you did the same thing in Nashville. I'm on board. But and Nashville it, does that with concerts. Yes, but you're doing it in Iowa in July. I just don't know what the, the overlap, the sell is. I hope it works out. Just like Adam Stern said, I hope for, for sure, I, I hope it works out. But I understand the frustration of IndyCar fans. But that said, you're also going to concerts, and concerts cost a lot of money. And for clarification, the La La Lane comment uh, was by hy Executive Chairman, Executive Director Randy Etiker. And then he also went on to say, I've read some of the comments and frankly, it's just almost silly that people expect to come to an event like this for $55. Now, those level of concerts, yeah, I, I understand that. I, I get it. And that is a, a an accurate statement. But for IndyCar fans, when you're used to paying between $40 and $60 for tickets at a lot of these events that aren't the Indy 500 or Long Beach or Nashville, which are just going to be more expensive based on the markets they're in and the events that they are, then that is sticker shock. But in but in their defense, you're not getting to see Ed Sheeran and Carrie Underwood and everybody else. Zach Brown Band, Zach Brown Kenny Chesney. My my thing is, I don't know if the they're the normal quote casual IndyCar fan is interested in concerts. And that goes back to the fact, and this is a whole other conversation, is the majority of your demographic of fans are upper, higher demographics. So this is an effort to capture the young fan, just like the CW series is trying to capture the young fans. So Iowa, let's say it, is probably not directed at you, me, and many of our listeners that are 30s, 40s, 50s. It is aimed at those people in their 20s, their teens, their teens, and all that. And this is this is what this push is for. So, I understand being salty, but I also I also tell people to understand that IndyCar is trying different things to market itself to different demographics of people, and you're not going to agree with everything that IndyCar does. Look, trust me, I, I'm the most vocal of that. But I also need to understand, as you people need to understand, that not every effort that IndyCar is going to do is aimed at you or me. They're aimed at other people. Moving on, some other notes. Hunkos Hollinger Racing announced their Indy Lights, Indy Next drivers, Reese Gold, Matteo Nanini, and that brings the total up to 16 confirmed drivers. We expect at least two more, a fourth in Andretti, a second at Cape Motorsports. 16 is fun. Biggest series grid since 2009. That's positive. That from Steve uh, Wittick, who covers the the road to Indy or whatever I'm supposed to call it now. I don't <laughs> think it's technically the road to Indy anymore, but yes. We're going to call it the very, road to Indy. Very, here. very, very positive. Elsewhere, IndyCar team knows Aaron McLaren SP, now be known as Aero McLaren. However, 
Sam Schmidt, Rick Peterson still actually involved. It's just a rebrand of the name. I don't understand how their jobs can be the same, yet their initials are being dropped from the name. Yeah, they they still will up. be actively involved in the three-car team. Meanwhile, Pato Award, eyeing F1, hopes to go to F1 and come back to IndyCar. That's great, but Alex Blow, your teammate, your future teammate, is already ahead of you on the F1 side. <laughs> I will say that. You're a distant third right now, Pato, for yeah. whatever reason, Yeah, behind I, you I, and Colton Orta. Yeah, I find that part interesting. But I think if he wins a, a title, Indy 500, I think those yes. opportunities will present themselves totally. for him sooner rather than later. Speaking of that team, Felix Rosenquist, uh, he will take part in the Race of Champions Sweden event. So that's pretty cool. That's the one they do like on ice or whatever. I yeah, that's always fun. Mike Shank approved to the board of directors for Road America. So congrats to Mike, friend of the show. And a couple of uh, race notes. First off, the Battle on the Bricks, the IMSA race for Indianapolis Motor Speedway. It will be uh, sponsored by TireRack.com. We also got news that the Dirt Weekend, the BC39, is moving dates. It'll be in September, September 27th to 30th at IMS. So it'll be its own standalone weekend. About time for that. And they'll actually have it on a weekend, not in the middle of the week. So that's a positive as well. And Milwaukee Mile updates. State of Wisconsin Building Commission. They approved $3 million in repairs and improvements for the Milwaukee Mile over the next seven months. Hmm. Maybe for a truck series race? Yes. That's coming? That could lead to an IndyCar series race in 2024. We shall see. And one other note to get to SRX. They are partnering with ESPN Thursday Night Thunder starting July 13th. This is pretty excited. I agree. Um, going from Saturdays on CBS to Thursdays to ESPN. So I, I think it's a great, great idea. And it brings back some old school uh, connotations with ESPN. And SRX in a lot of ways feels old school anyway with the tracks it goes to and the event formats and all that. So I think it's a great fit. And it's nice having, you know, former or even current IndyCar guys like Tony Kanaan plus Marco Andretti, uh, Ryan hunter Ray participating in this series it's fun to watch it's a fun time they don't take things too seriously right i i enjoy it being a part of the summer and it'll be even more enticing being on thursday nights sure saturday nights in the summer gets busy you're doing some things miss a race but thursday nights yeah that's that's doable so looking forward to it all right maybe do you think the thursday nights moving it there then would able to get more quote-unquote guest drivers from other series because Saturday night of a race weekend is obviously not happening, but a Thursday night heading into a race weekend, a little bit more doable. I think a lot more doable and I think a lot better TV ratings sure. as well because the TV ratings kind of leveled off in year two. Plus, Elio, Paul Tracy also participating in that series as far as the IndyCar connections. Willie T. Ribs participated in the first year on the, the broadcast team year two. I did not see anything about the broadcast team for it if that will change, probably, but... We shall see. Very fun series and, and looking forward to, in, to it being Thursday Night Thunder. All right. Time now for our random split air driver of the week. I forgot. I, I lost him. Let me let me look. We're, uh, we're we going to 2000 cart? and cart and Norberto Fontana. Okay. I only know this name because I think we talked about him recently. We have talked about him before, um, but he's a dude that just continues to... Uh, 
to uh he was a sober driver wasn't he uh, or at least sober reserve i think he made four starts and the way the reason why i bring him up national nationality argentina so we know that indycar is maybe looking into an argentinian race of some sort and here we are noberto fontana from argentina was in four formula one grands prix but appeared in indycar in the year 2000 and did what 10 races in indycar did the first 10 of the season for delapina motorsports Delapena uh, is just fun to say too. They were yes. in, uh, with their Atlantics for a long time, and then IndyCar and Kart. And two thousand, I think, was their last year. Best finish of eleventh at Cleveland. So he ran Miami, Long Beach, Rio. When they were in Brazil, Motegi, Nazareth, Milwaukee, Detroit, Portland, Cleveland, and Toronto. And his top finish, would you say, was fourteenth or no eleventh uh, at Cleveland? 11th at Cleveland had a 14th at Detroit. So on, on uh, in familiar territory on uh, airport circuits, we'll just say that. Um, but raced in Formula Nippon over in Japan and did that after his Formula One career. Raced at Suzuka and Sendai and Motegi. Did some touring cars as well in the mid to late 2000s. But just that one and done season in 2000 in cart with, with De La Pena. And that came three years after his four-race appearance for Sauber in Formula One. Had a couple of ninth-place finishes at Silverstone and in Germany at the, uh, where'd they race that one? At Hockenheim. Missed that track. Yes. It's fitting you pick an Argentinian driver, not just for IndyCar, but obviously Argentina playing in the World Cup final. Yeah, as, would, as we record this, we don't know the results because we're recording yes. Thursday morning December 15th here in the States, but I think it's coming up Sunday is the final. Yes. I would love to say that was part of my idea, but I would be lying. <laughs> I thought it was. I just but, assumed. Uh, still just 47 years old, Norberto Fontana. So maybe if IndyCar does return to Argentina, Norberto Fontana would be recognized in some capacity at that event. But a guy that uh, was one and done in terms of a season, the year 2000 with Della Pena Motorsport, Mr. Norberto Fontana, this week's random split era driver of the week. Thanks to Adam Stern for joining us. For Justin Kinney, I'm Caleb Hatch. We'll be back next week in the last episode of 2022. Uh, before we take a break over the holidays and then return for 2023 and all the news that will entail is at that point will be a month away from the open test. So, hey, Can't it's wait. closer around the corner than you think. Yes. But not close enough. Not close enough. We'll be back next week with more IndyCar news, notes, and rumors here on New Track Record Podcast. Podcasts by Federated Media.